All right, shall we go? Oh, are you are you sure. ready for us? Off and running, yes. Off and running. Let's okay. go. So, <clears throat> sorry. This, yeah. <clears throat> yes, clear your throat. <clears throat> I have breath mints. If anyone wants one, uh, are we not sitting far enough? I can <laughs> I can smell all your breath very clearly. Oh no! Apparently, yeah. I went Chuck, to s- Chuck's as well. Yeah, yeah. I went to see Proving Up, and I had horrendous breath. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. And no. Mark's like, "Hello." <laughs> Your breath is the worst. I, you really shouldn't t- face me when you talk. He was leaning, leaning away, leaning to of the course, side. Every single opera person in the universe was there. And so you're like, that I wanted to say hi to. Oh, it's no. like, hey, David Hertzberg, how are you? Oh, you should have told me. I always have gum and throat drop and uh, mint with me. Oh, it was embarrassing. Oh man. So let's start the show. Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. This is Peter. This is Walker. This is Brooke. And, and the, the, oh, this is okay. Do it. Yeah. And this is Doug. All right. All and right. in the booth, Chuck. Chuck. Usually I introduce the, the guest, but you're awesome, okay. Doug. This is... <laughs> <laughs> you okay, Peter? I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> Douglas J. Cuomo, composer and guitarist who over the past two decades has written extensively for film and TV... Ugh. Slow down, is that, man. is that the French word for TV? <laughs> to be? Slow no, To be or not to, to be. be. To be or not to be. Film and TV, as well as for the concert, operatic, and theatrical stages. And whose Savage Winter will be at BAM November 7th through 10th. And we're very excited to have uh, Doug on the show today. May I call you Doug? Yes, please. All right. Uh, so I first heard about Doug and actually friended you on Facebook when you uh-huh. first did Doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Now yeah, he's regretting you. that he accepted no, happy <laughs> friendship on <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Quite happy to be here. Yeah. 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 So we normally talk about things we've seen first. Did you see um, Proving Up? Were you I didn't. Up? I didn't. I did. You saw Proving Up? Yes. And Chuck saw Proving Up. Did you get to I did not. No. Uh, so we, we saw Missy Masoli's Proving Up. And uh, what did you think? It was very creepy. Yeah. It was amazingly well sung. Yeah. I thought it was very well directed. I love her music. Yeah. I think. I just, I loved Breaking the Waves. Like, I just like, I like the way that she writes music. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that there were some structural problems a little bit. Like some scenes seemed a little too long and others mm-hmm. a little too short and maybe the out of order or like just something didn't quite, it took a while to sort of like settle in for me. Um, but, you know, Royce writes beautiful poetry. So I I think it's a good piece. There, you know, there's structural problems with Turndot. So <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. I think I think it's a good, I think it's a cool opera. I thought it was funny because, you know, when we interviewed her, she said, oh, it's not a horror opera. Do you remember that? She's like, it's not a horror opera. That's, it's, it's a ghost story. I'm like, uh, this felt pretty, yeah, pretty gory. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. Yeah. It was pretty <clears throat> creepy. Um, yeah, and part of that might have been the direction. Like, not everything 
not everything that was super creepy was necessarily in the score. Right. So, you know, the, the <clears throat> direction, I actually know the director, shout out to Nathan Troop. Yeah. Um, and uh, he may, I mean, I don't know how much of that was like stage direction in the score that he did, but there was definitely creepy stuff. I thought that the drone of the harmonicas that the two sisters yes. had was amazing. Really cool. They were just It was just they go back and forth. The, these two, the two oh, ghost daughters. Was, these, these were characters in the play? Yeah, not, they, not, were, not in the they were two but... singers, yeah, who played like dead daughters. And when they, there was a, an extended scene where they were not singing, but they were on stage doing stuff and they were each playing a harmonica and this like this drone so just like mm. and sort of like unpitched you know like just like that neutral harmonica oh sound God. and oh it was, it was creepy and cool wow. yeah and you know the singers are fantastic so uh, yeah and the right. orchestra sounded great yeah yeah i mean it so it basically starts out it's, it's you know exposition like you're introduced to the father and who's an alcoholic and they're they they're homesteading and it's lonely and sad and they you know they tell the whole like sharing the window story and he's ended up he confesses to having stolen the window and you know there's that sort of exposition and then they send the little boy miles off to who is wonderful miles. yeah Mm-hmm. And was very, very Britain-esque. You know, I was like, that's an, right. you know, evoking mm-hmm. It's a little shout-out. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, he was a very Britain-like tenor, too. Michael Slattery, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. So it was, and he goes off, and he has, you know, he's like riding a horse, and he's sort of excited to be riding a horse and traveling, and then he meets this sodbuster character who is essentially like a death, agent of death. Um, who kills him and then goes back to his Yikes. family. Yeah, But it's a beautiful... Uh, gosh, at one point, he pours this milky-colored liquid <gasps> I was like, oh. down the throat of the singer, yeah. and he coughs, and it makes this huge splat. I mean, it was Whoa. so graphic and yeah. wow. terrifying. But, yeah, I was just... I was, I was like, uh <laughs> I thought it was very... I thought it was a very interesting, very colorful show. The score, I mean, like I said, the it score. It was so just, dark, though. It was oh. so dark. But I, dark is okay. Yeah. But, um, the other thing that got me was all of a sudden the death character just randomly shoots the other son. I mean, yeah. Just shot, like, just took the gun, shot the right. other son. For no he reason. Dies, For no reason at and all. And then there's no continuity. So I'm like, oh, he's going to kill everyone in the family. I was kind <laughs> of like. But then he doesn't do that either. He doesn't do that. Hmm. So I, I just wasn't sure. It felt very like, why was that a part hmm. of the story? I'm sh- maybe it's, you know, it's part of the short story. It was but, a short story, yeah. Right. So, I, I haven't read hmm. the source material. Did anybody read it after no. we met her? Uh, no, but maybe. I mean, I felt like it's so that family also didn't have a heritage to give out. That I mean, oh yeah, to kill the children. The sodbuster lost his wife and his children. I mean, what's odd is that when he was talking about his family, and then he hands it over his gear to the father. It's like, is this a future shade of the father coming back to haunt them? Because if you remember what the sodbuster said about his family, it sounded exactly like the family we're looking at. Well, it is. It also evokes the family that he says he stole the window from, but it, he, but he doesn't confess to being that guy either. So it's sort of unclear who he actually, like my first thought was like, oh yeah, this is the guy from the family that he stole the window from. Um, well, and, yeah. But it, it's not. But when when well when Miles asks him if he knows that family, he sort of doesn't answer the question. He's not, and I'm not sure it's supposed to be clear. Like it's it's a ghost story, right? right. So lots of things are supposed to be sort of up in the air. It is sort of unclear from the information that we had how these characters were actually interrelated. Right. So 
but in general, it was really oh, loved yeah. it. Had a great time. Right. I'm I'm getting tired of dark, dark, dark stuff though. Well, I guess you know, I guess that's why Missy reacted. It's kind like, of a reflection of our current reality. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Well, because when I heard when I heard her the the idea about the, the there's a window that's shared between you know various houses mm-hmm. that, which has to do with this this homestead act, homestead right, act. Right. and uh, and i said oh it's, it sounds like there could be a comic side to that and she just gave me this look like uh no what? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's, it sounds like the, right. the, the show did was on a much darker level it was like, i mean no, i think she does no dark. black has humor at all has she done any comedy not that I, I was just hoping there might be a little macabre humor in there, you know, but maybe not. Uh, no. 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 <laughs> no. Let's just I'm trying to no. think if anything, if no. anything was, I mean, I guess it's sort of like the him on the horse. There were some moments of sort of a little bit of lightness because he was having fun riding right. the horse. Uh-huh. But like, which actually they did a really, it How was really clever. A sawhorse, a bucket, and. Uh, like a, a platform. Right? Like a platform. It was pretty cool. No, no. It was, it was very, the tub. Oh yeah, yeah the they tub, took the tub, the tub. They turned it upside right. down. That's right. And then, and, and then they had a pig that was represented as a sort of almost like a pitcher, like a watering can, like a watering can. But oh, it was a pig. That's great. Yeah, right. no, some really that. lovely, lovely yeah, touches. Yeah, yeah. That, and yeah, and that was very clever. Like the direction was really clever, and it was like on a raked stage that was it was soil, so it was all mm-hmm. like in, like mm-hmm. a bunch of dirt that they yeah. were rolling around in. It, it was it was cool. I'm really glad. I'm really glad I saw it. And yeah. So. Anyone see anything else? I saw Aida at the Aida. Met. Aida. Yeah. How was that? It was actually the first time I've ever seen it live. And uh, it was... Who, I, which... Was it Nutrebko? Nutrebko, okay. yeah. And um, um, Antonenko. Okay. And uh, I just feel like that the production is, is very stodgy. It's time for a new... It's, it's, it's from 1988. I mean, and they have Sonia Frizzell. Black face. It's just... Oh, Do they? Well, she's, they have her painted darker. Tan. I mean, I took my wife, and my wife actually does workshops on, like, being culturally aware and, you know, racial inclusion, and she was, like, horrified. <laughs> I, I said, I, I want to interview you, and she's like, don't interview me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it, is, it is very confusing because it's like they, they kind of make a, a tiny effort to, to make, you know, Egyptian people look a little bit Egyptian. But what, what is that exactly, first of all? And then they, they mm-hmm. also tried to make so – there it looked like there were some African-American people in the Egyptian, in the Egyptian chorus. And then they tried to make the Ethiopian chorus – uh, look a little a little darker, like but but they put like five African American people in the front row with their shirts off, and the rest of them were just white. So it was it was bizarre, and then and then all of the soldiers had these really odd wigs that looked like they were sort of imitating like braided. African hair, so, but yeah. but all but all of them were white. What was your thought about the opera? Like <laughs> like production aside, like do we really need to do this opera? Well, that's a <clears throat> that's a question that can be said. How many operas should we just throw away? There's a ton. That, that right. I mean, I, well, I personally I, wasn't wasn't riveted by the music. I feel like in the th- act act three and four, it improves a lot. I mean, I, I think part of the problem was that the, the the stakes weren't very high in the acting. It felt like in the first two acts, and it just felt kind of flat. Um, but it really picked up. Um, a few people were great. Um, 
Kelsey uh, Quinn the, Kelsey Quinn, Quinn Kelsey. Yeah, he was fantastic. Um, that was very loud. <laughs> loud. Um, um, Ryan Speedo Green also. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he doesn't do very much. He's the king, but he but he sounded fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah it just it just I just think it would be fascinating if you're going to do that that opera to maybe update it to yeah. to, right. to, to, maybe, to the present. Maybe you know? hire yeah. some black. Singer. That was the musical. I mean, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, I mean, actually, I was thinking, you know, it is kind of an interesting plot. You know, you, you could turn it into a film or like a TV series or something that just felt because it's just so stiff. I mean, even, even when when people stand in a chorus, everyone is in perfect little it's it's like it's like an army of robots where where every every person is exactly one point five feet apart, and and, and, it, and, it, and it makes everything look very ordered. It looks like it was created on a on a graph, um, but it doesn't doesn't right. really have it doesn't feel like the the humanity. I mean that like the chaos, like the the, the human energy of ancient Egypt, right. which, where you hear about these gigantic. You know, groups of slaves. You know, building the pyramids and you know, no, the, no, no. The they huge... had the foot and a half rule. The, the... Right. <laughs> that's what it was that's like. Right. That's right. That's your... right. I forgot that's about that. Right. Egypt was like that. So it just, it just, it's weird how it just. I don't know. They just sort of flatten out everything. Uh, yeah. You know? Well, so so, so, that, so we you... had this conversation with with my boyfriend actually about whether or not some of these works that are in the canon really need to continue to be in the canon. You know, like. Puccini wrote some great opera and he wrote some terrible opera. Verdi wrote some great opera and wrote some terrible. Why don't we just keep the stuff that's good and not offensive to which multiple ones cultures? Are, yeah. Which of his operas are not offensive <laughs> to multiple cultures? Seriously. I'm well, counting uh, on fingers. is not offense. I mean, there's there's offensive to cult, not culturally offensive. Oh, okay. You're right. talking about Verdi or Puccini? Yeah, but, I'm talking about Verdi. Right? Well, they had that, okay. but there was a whole sort of romantic idea of foreignism, and his representation of foreignism is just horrendous. Because I mean, in a, Traviata, no, 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 no. I'm saying of all of his, a lot of his operas, well, he, I think the exoticism uh, I mean, is always sort of. Like, Otello sure. is is amazing musically, right? But but. Wow. Yeah, well, but I think that. I think you can I think you can probably still do Otello and just make it about otherness mm-hmm. or like clash of it doesn't have to be necessarily that like you're playing out a, ra- a racial yeah. issue, uh-huh. um, but that's also a relevant issue, right? Yeah, like right. you can mm-hmm. you can you can you can't update it per se, but you can make it yeah you can sort of modernize the topic and mm-hmm. talk about it. Aida is just really hard to do in any way that's not going to come across as really offensive by today's standards, and it's and it's but, also not. Go ahead. No, the whole question of today's standards when you're looking back at things that are made so long ago, right. it's so loaded. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because, you mm-hmm. know, what are your expectations for how people felt about things that we care about in a different way now? Yeah. With right. the knowledge that, you know, in 100 years from now, if everybody's still, anybody's still around, they're going to be looking back and saying, can you believe that those people? Of course. Are, what, I like, know. You know, whatever yeah. the thing of is. Of course. You know. I, yeah. So. Yeah. Because there's like... some, there's a little bit of some there's this sort of cultural relativism that goes on. So we're kind of assuming that now we know. You know, we're assuming that now we know how things should be. Sure. When actually 
you know, we don't know how things should be. And mm-hmm. soon, you know, in some time in the future, people are going to be looking back and say, oh, they didn't know oh, anything they didn't about know it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. They're so it's crit- kind of like, yeah. us absolutely. Too. I you think know, it's, yeah. it's tricky. I think it, I, you, I, you're absolutely correct. And I don't, I don't <clears> think we should like excise it entirely <clears> from <throat> never being performed at all. But maybe it doesn't need to be in rep at right. the moment. You know, like we can bring it out and like talk about it. But like the Met doesn't talk about it. Or right, right. That's the thing, right. Maybe it's time for new production. Yeah. Yeah. A new production from one of the new from a woman director. <laughs> right, but what about all right, Doug? You know, in the future they're going to say, "My God, look at this portrayal of nuns." I know. <laughs> doubt. And I'll say that Shanley wrote it. I just wrote the music. Talk, talk, you know, How leave, can you? leave my offspring and you know, right. and my my right. you know grandchildren alone on this thing. Right, right, right. It just, yeah, I just they're going to deface like, your gravestone. Right. There, the, there's the a, but there's a larger issue too, which is that opera, any opera that you present represents opera to a lot of people, right? Right. So if you go and you present something that is hugely culturally insensitive, either because of the production or yeah, because yeah. of the content, and a lot of, you know, people see that and they're like, ugh. And then yeah. they're seeing that as like what all of opera is. And so I think there is a responsibility, sort of, to be sensitive to what people actually want to see, right? People yeah. don't want to mm-hmm. see. Nobody Nobody wants to see Anna Trebko in blackface. Nobody. Zero people <laughs> uh-huh. want to see that, right? Uh-huh. Why is that happening? And and I understand, like, okay, it wasn't blackface, and they just made her slightly darker. and mm-hmm. But, like, that is not okay, and no one wants to see it. So why are we presenting it? Like, that that's really the question for me. It's, it's, it's sort of we're shooting ourselves in the foot as right. – as ambassadors for the art form if we keep presenting mm-hmm. these museum pieces without any attention to how people may feel about it today. That's is the book. actual opera worth that? That's the Are question, you going too. through all those. Right. Do, yeah, is it worth, like, question. is the opera itself good enough? Or did Verdi write other stuff that maybe is better? Well, also, mm-hmm. maybe it could be cut because th- there's certain aesthetic choices that he made which are just horrific. Like, like there's a couple moments where these dancers come in and basically perform a ballet just just right. out of nowhere, yes, and we're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, in today's world, that just doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Like you wouldn't right. you wouldn't write a story about Egypt and then have some ballet dancers performing, you know, in in the palace. You would have some sort of Egyptian dance, but that's all. You know? Yeah, that's all. So so that's just bizarre. Well, that, yeah, that's presume that's a production problem. I presume. No, I no. I mean, he wrote the music, so right. I He's mean, not you, be you, able you, to write but, Egyptian music. Yeah. Right. Well, you, well, you, you <laughs> right. see, that's another problem because you right. do hear him awkwardly trying to make it a little exotic sounding. You know, right. and and it doesn't right. it doesn't sound remotely Egyptian. It's just probably like a you know vaguely or, vague Eastern Orientalism. Right. You know, Oriental Orientalism. Yeah. yeah. Right. So okay, Chuck, what have you seen? Well, I got to see the third preview of Bernhardt Hamlet at the Roundabout, oh, Teresa yeah. Rebick's new play starring Janet McTeer. Yes. And it, I found it a fascinating um, contemplation of a strong woman, especially in French society at the time, who was running her own company, and now she's playing the biggest male part of all times, and uh, what that says also about our, our modern generation. Yeah, and one of the be- wow. I saw that production, and one of the wonderful things is it's a beautifully acted uh, performance. I don't has, is it officially open? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Yes. The so we can talk just, about it. Yes. Um, 
I also Where I was is that being performed? At Roundabout, Roundabout American okay. Airlines. Okay. But, but one, one of the things also about Shakespeare and the women characters, you know, they depended evidently quite a lot on just who was in his right. troop right. from mm. year to year. Did he have some young, because they were played by boys, you know, who did he have in his young boy lineup? Because mm. evidently research has been done and you can find the plays that have more role, more lines for women correspond with when he had some particular young male actors who could do them. Right. So mm. it's all very sort of practical theatrical you know thinking <clears throat> almost producerial thinking more than artistic thinking and in, in this pr- production she's trying to play hamlet which is really interesting a male character and she's comp- she she's saying what a flat non there's no action it's all thoughts all thoughts there's no action so it was her frustration with being in a character that wasn't an action there was always just thought 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 constant navel gazing procrastinating. Well, that's, yeah. what, that's what the character is about yeah right? exactly. the fact that there's no action but it was really it was really cool just to see her picking it apart and everyone of course people are like you shouldn't be playing hamlet so what she does is she asks her playwright friend to rewrite hamlet in modern then modern language for her and they actually, historically, that, that is what happened. She did play a Hamlet. Wow. She did. Mm. And that was Edmund Rostan. Yes. Uh, who, that's not who eventually wrote the Hamlet that she did. And I don't remember, I don't did it, what right. she finally came up with. Because he went on and she said, go do Cyrano. Because. That's right. And now I'm really fascinated. I want to see this. It's yeah. wonderful yeah. production. And the cast is, is stellar. Mm. And then also, I was down in Opera Philadelphia. Yes. Um, for Festival 018. And got to see Nikita Pa, which is the reimagined La Voix Humaine by James Dara and uh, Christopher Allen for um, um, Pat Reset. Pat Reset, yes. So James Dara also directed the um, Proving Up. Up that we saw, mm. just to make those connections for the audience. I, I do, going back to your subject, La Voix Humaine is an opera I never see, need to see again. <laughs> and it's not because oh, it's not because Patricia was not absolutely stunning and phenomenal in it. It's It was interesting at intermission, I was talking talking with uh, two ladies, um, two of the women who help run the education program at Met Live Arts. And we're talking about how, you know, in opera, it's all, you know, women are usually, you know, the victim and this and that. And, you know, and then I'm sitting there watching La Voix Humaine play out. I'm going, yeah, this is exactly what we were talking about. This, this older woman that's just trying to hold on to this younger man and trying to do anything to do it and de- degrade herself. And it's like, Really, thanks so much. Hmm. What was that? His pen, pen clicking. He's clicking his pen. Yeah. I'm trying, there it is. It's sort of uh, a serial killer type. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a serial sound. <laughs> so, so, serial killers here. Click. Yeah. click. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I saw something at um, at the Castor Theater in Montclair, which oh, was um, Hatchway, oh. which was written by Frank London, who's actually playing trumpet in in uh, Savage Winter. Oh, great. Um, and it's really interesting because it, in some ways, it's a reflection of some of the things we're talking about. It's a piece that is sung in English, Spanish, and Yiddish. Oh. And it takes place at various different times in Cuba. Um, and the central character is a re- refugee from, I think, Germany, like pre, before you know, when the rise of Hitler he went to Cuba. And he's, so some of it takes place Cuba at that time. Then there's also some indigenous people stuff, which takes place earlier. Mm-hmm. And oh, um, yes. so it's, a it's great really review. Of yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and the sort of mix of Cuban music and, you know, other kinds of things in there. So right. it really was this oh, different cool. kind of yeah. feeling. Who was the composer piece? again? Uh, Frank London. 
Yes. And it's, um, when was it written? It was written recently. I think the only other production of it happened like last year in Cuba. Right. Wow. What was the name That's of the great. piece? It's Hatue, which is H-A-T-U-E-Y. Um, when they did it in Cuba, he they wanted him to do it all in Spanish. So we he actually did a version all in Spanish. Um, but yes, the part of the point of it is that because Frank has a big background in Yiddish music as well as all kinds of, and, and Cuban music as well. He's sort of an expert in both of those things. Um, he's one of the founders of the Klezmatics. So, you know, it's interesting because we were talking about things before you know, earlier that were very sort of not of this time and how much should we still be doing them. And so here's this thing that, you know, that sort of really is of this time. It's got this a lot of different cultural, mm-hmm. you know, worlds coming together in some way. It's interesting to think of, though, that, you know, they historically people thought, oh, this will be played forever. But society's changing so quickly right now. Is if that, I wonder if that's going to affect how long certain artworks are going to last. Like, are we think- going to be writing operas that are going to be done centuries from now? Do you or think is- people back then thought they were going to be being done forever? Uh, that's a good question. I guess it would depend on the ego of the person writing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they were probably yeah. just trying to do their job, right? I mean, and do you think Verdi and Puccini were, were just today? Well, Wagner, I think we can. Wagner was a tomorrow. Sure. Uh, I think I think Puccini for sure was just concerned about his bank account. Uh, right. Verdi. I mean, they were very much men of their times, right? right? Like they opera at that time what, didn't have a museum aesthetic at all. There was no, it was re- like the pop yeah. music right. of Italy. Mm. So they were they were just writing they were writing music to the way that like pop musicians mm. write albums, right? And right. You, you sometimes sometimes something's amazing and enters into the canon of like Western popular music, and sometimes a lot of the time it's just not. It's just sort of like a one-off, and it gets people buy the CD, and then that's mm. it. People it seemed like Mozart anymore, but... had both. He 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 was he acted like he was one with his time, and almost like a pop writer, and at the same time, he had an idea for for the future. Right. So perhaps he, like. Like, well, he, he wanted like, to I mean, be. He remembered. died when he was thirty-five, right? So that's pretty. Like, do you really think that he had a thought that he would be remembered? Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think when he wrote opera, he especially he he want he wanted his operas to be remembered. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be part of the opera canon. Yeah. It's interesting to so- think about contemporary works now. I don't know. It's hard, as you say, it's hard to imagine that things are going to be being done hundreds of years from now. Part of the reason things from hundreds of years ago are being done now, the big reason I think in these opera houses is because people, you know, the the older. I'm not saying necessarily in age, but that also the sort of more traditional audiences, that's what they come to see. Right. right. You know, like that mm-hmm. they're doing Tosca and that's why they're doing, you know, Bohem and all of that stuff. So if there's going to be in 100 or 200 years from now, some audience that's going to be, you know, clamoring to hear music that's being written now. I don't know, maybe, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's sort of hard to, I mean, obviously I mean, there, it's hard to there say. There are operas that have been written in, within the last 25 years that get regular performances and I think you know you can't necessarily plan for something to become that you just you don't no, know that not. but mm-hmm. I think but the I, idea but, of the canon was something that was mm-hmm. sort of with mass media there was it was like a selling ploy you know this idea of the great works you know right the, the idea I mean, of the I great just think works. of it as like Norton anthology right. Western music like the stuff that you study because it was somehow either transitional or exemplary of its 
of its time, you know? So when I study music history, like, you learn about these canon works because they are somehow, like... Representative. The, yeah, or representative or... In- influential. Or influential or, or, or really important or stand out in some unique way. But it way. also sort of showed up with the whole music appreciation racket that, that you know, the sort of... <laughs> Do you know what music I mean? Appreciation racket. You know what I mean? Like this <laughs> education. Quite a racket. It's quite a racket. No, but you know what I mean. Yeah, people I'm... were making a lot of dough off that <laughs> racket. Let me tell I think, you. I think Trump was involved in that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> music appreciation. No, those yeah. music yeah. appreciation yeah. teachers with their huge no, but you bank know what accounts. I mean? Idea sure. of the canon really happened in the fifties. And mm. 60s. Is that true, though? Yeah. Why do you, why oh, like do you say that's true? Yeah. That, that whole sort of like but, but, young but, people's but orchestra. Is that really like if you go back and look at like books that came out of for, that were written for t- students in the 20s? Music education is different than a music appreciation racket, which I'm talking about mm. a different thing. There was music education. You learned how to make music. You sang song. It's not a. That's not a music appreciation course. Well, what do, what do you mean by music appreciation? Oh, you know, music one hundred and one. Yes, let's learn oh. about the great masters and the the composers. Yeah. I didn't get music history as a other than like the occasional mention in my world history and U.S. history classes. Right. I didn't, music history wasn't something that I had until I was a music major in college. Or like adult education, need, like community, right. like those com- schools where exactly. you can like, yeah, that's what I think of. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, this, oh, yes. Now you're pointing at me to change the subject when, the, when I'm on a roll. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I always try to avoid you getting on a roll. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Roll on. Roll on. I've lost my track. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. the benefits of being 50. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So let, let's, let's switch tracks since we did put a pin in it. Um, so Marika Yumjin, did I say that right? I don't know. I think I said it right. Mary Kiyumjin, who we have mentioned on the podcast before, she is doing an opera with Royce Favrick that just won a grant. Um, and um, I also friended on Facebook recently. I don't know when I did that. But she put this lovely post up um, that she wrote, um, inspired by the memory of Matt Marks, who was her partner. Um, and actually, I should give this. I should read exactly how she well, said it. I was going to say also, Matt Marks, just for anybody who's listening, was is was a yes. like thirty eight year old composer, um, beloved in the community, yes. one of the founders of New Music Gathering. Um, by all accounts, I did not know him. I'm really sorry, I didn't know him. By all accounts, a lovely, lovely human being. Um, and so he passed away last year. He, was it last yeah, year? 20, yeah, 2017. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she said, you know, I asked for permission. She said, yes, you, you have my permission. This is something that I wrote inspired by conversations that Matt and I had over the years by his actions and by the things that Matt stood for. So I, I was reading this and I thought that this was actually so, brought up all sorts of issues to me. And I, I would almost add one more word to this list that she comes to in the middle. But uh, let's, let, let me read it. I promise to listen for what is in the music I experience, not for what's missing which I think is really cool as a musician. Oh, you read the whole thing. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> to advocate for the work of others as much as or more than I advocate f- for my own, to not bring others down to lift myself up, to call out discrimination and recognize and work on my own biases, to use my own privilege to create opportunities for those in underrepresented communities, to research, program, and collaborate with artists who are different than I am, to see each other as human, friends, and family, not just as colleagues or stepping stones. 
to celebrate our differences, to try to erase the following words from my vocabulary, aesthetic, genre, school of thought, highbrow, lowbrow, serious music, cheesy, masculine, feminine, emerging, mid-career, established, acoustic, electronic, virtuoso, uptown, downtown, Brooklyn, New York, everywhere else, success, failure. To create the music that I want to create, not that I should create or just win, or just to win an award. All right, now I'm gonna use a four letter word so those with children can mute. To not give a fuck about what others think about my craft, to try something in my art that scares me, to reach out to those around me who are going through a rough time, to love each other, to be in this together with you. This killed me when I read it on it's Facebook. Beautiful. It's called A Musician's Pledge. Yes. Right? I'm not sure if you said Oh, I might yeah, not have said yeah, that. Yeah. It's A Musician's Pledge inspired by and in memory of Matt Marks. Really got me thinking because, I mean, all of this is very, to me, it's sort of core to my beliefs too, which is lovely. Uh, but then this list, this list really made me sort of, there's things that are so obvious that should that should be on this list that are, but then some things that just sort of hit me like, oh, I, really, that's on this list? So I'm going to say the things that made me sort of surprised. First one, aesthetic. Yeah, why? why uh... I love that idea. To, that it's not an aesthetic. There's no, uh-huh. I mean, why do you think it was included in this list? I, I mean, you're asking me. You're I'm looking, asking you're you. looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to look at someone. I think that I, so all of those words in my mind are words that are dividing words. Right, they're categories. So yeah. And so mm-hmm. aesthetic yeah. is a way mm-hmm. that you can categorize somebody and therefore objectify them and or their art. Mm-hmm. I think also part of it might be the idea that it's, and I know this is, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. If you categorize something in some way, you don't have to listen in the same way. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, I know about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. I, yeah. I have that. You're like yes. the, Yeah. 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 Um, any any others that sort of jump out? I love I love this emerging mid career and established. I, I mean, love that's great. Yeah. 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 Will anyone that's... ever get grants if they don't have? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I also no, I know. Yeah. To, yeah. To, to... Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a real problem. I mean, as a so I work for a bunch of foundations. So we actually don't necessarily just fund emerging anybody but um but yeah that language is is really problematic it's also very problematic for performers because singers singers in particular but people can start playing or singing at any time in their life and achieve a level of mastery that makes them professional quality or worthy of being on stage and to say that you are too old when you reach a certain age or, or whatever is is complete and utter yeah. bullshit. Like it is right. not. Hey, look at like a Charles Ives. I mean, right. he, he didn't mm-hmm. start writing right. music right. seriously until he retired. Right. So he's emerging. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's emerging. Right. right. I mean, and then there are people who start doing things when they're you know twelve. They're, right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. but one isn't better right. than the other. No, it's, it's it's again it's this sort of idea of categories. Yeah. I, mean, I mean for myself, you know, I started writing kind of concert music or new music or what contemporary classical music, whatever you call it, maybe you guys have ideas. You know, much later because I was writing music for film and television all right. along until like the first big piece I had um was Arjuna's Dilemma and I was like 50. Um is that right? Maybe I'm saying the wrong age. But I was older. 
you right. know. Yeah. But so was I sort of emerging? You know, right? Right. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. yeah. And, and I can't wait to emerge. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you've emerged, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's glorious. <laughs> it is glorious. Well, other things that, that are here. It's interesting to acoustic electronic. Yeah, I wonder which, about that. Yeah, which is cool because mm-hmm. this is going to come into all our discussions of your music. But it is interesting that the to not to to get rid of it from your vocabulary. Well, it's interesting because you know even to come on right for this show, you have some you write some little thing about what it is, and if you're describing the piece, and for some pieces like the for Savage Winter, it was hard to think of how to describe it because it's all these different kinds of things. But you know those words have a certain use. There's a usefulness. There's a right. utility to mm-hmm. them. Because people want to know something about the music before they listen to it, mm. so it's tricky. I understand. You yeah. know, how do you? So if you're if you're taking away all the uh, descriptive words, like how do you describe a piece? Like, oh, I think it's good. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe she doesn't want it described. Which is doesn't want music to be described. I think there's a difference between. I, I think I think you can say I used electronic instruments in writing this. Oh, piece I see what you're saying. Versus this is electronic music. Versus this oh, is acoustic music. Which is a big difference. Which, yeah, right. Oh, yes. right. So like yeah, you can say nice. like I used, you know, I used computers or I used MIDI files or I used pre-recorded, you know, all any number of electronic instruments, right? Mm-hmm. And th- that that is valid. Like they are electronic. But to say this is electronic music. But what if you only use those? Well, well is it any different? Well, but then what question. does it sound like? Does well, it think... sound like an acoustic instrument? Right. Because, right. you know, like right. Stephen Merritt, the, the magnetic fields. He's like, um, you know, I want it. He said, I, when he writes songs, he, he often says, I want it to sound like a bunch of people sitting in a room playing playing instruments. Mm-hmm. But actually, he's using completely electronic instruments. Right. right. Well, also, there's so, this whole odd, you know thing that if you think about even you know recordings from the 20s, it's electronic because it's right. a recording. Right. <laughs> right. You know, uh, yeah. like right. the whole thing. You know, yeah. so essentially, right. yeah. you know, anything that we hear that's not live music, but even most live music you hear is electronic because there's some it's amplification. What I think she's encouraging us to do is that when we listen, when we sit down in an audience, to just let it be what it is. It's this is not an electronic piece. This is not an acoustic piece. This is a piece I'm about to see. It's not by an emerging artist. It's mm-hmm. let the experience be exactly what it is, right. and mm-hmm. and appreciate mm-hmm. it and be present with what right. it is without these labels. I think being right. yeah. yeah. I mean that's the first it. sentence. Yeah, exactly. You know, I promise to listen for what is in the music I experience, not for what's missing. Yeah, right. Because or not for what you bring to it right. beforehand. Right. If you look at Dog Days and a lot of David Little um, Little's music, he uses an expanse of, of both acoustic and electronic and it's not electronic music. It's not necessarily acoustic. It, it's it's this combination of all that that it it's its own thing. And uh, proving up, if I'm correct, was supposed to be using like seven different tune guitars. Yeah, uh, electric guitars, guitars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and the then guitars. the harmonicas. I mean, that's a completely wasn't it harp chord? Huh? Wasn't there like some sort of uh, slightly t- mistuned harpsichord? Uh, uh, isn't I, that I, just a harpsichord? I, <laughs> 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 Standard. <laughs> Standard issue. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where where it gets confusing me is when, and I've I've heard the pieces where they created the music out of a computer program. One of them I I that drove me crazy was they turned this ancient Chinese play and pulled out and had the computer figure out what the tonalities would be, and then that's what we got. And and the orchestra was playing with the with the computer, and it was. 
But that's, I mean, that's experiment. Yeah, like, well, I mean, whether any, it works or not kind of is sort of irrelevant. Bad, yeah. right? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> if there's one thing we've learned from your concert going, it's like, holy cow. Right. So, but, but right, like whether something works or not is, is separate from whether or not we label it. And yeah, I think that how that's we re- like resisting labels, which I I I do appreciate that. Yeah. And yeah, resisting sort of labeling like, people too. Right. It's it's not right. just about that's labeling the music, but also to, labeling right. yeah. the individuals yeah. involved. But it's also interesting that this is a, a musician's pledge, not an audience member's pledge. So that it's right. how we approach the how we approach the piece as we're performing, I think right. is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And right. I like the, the the position of this is not a stepping stone. Sometimes you 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 know when you're in re- rehearsal and it feels like this person's treating it like a stepping stone. And what do right. you mean by that? Well, there's singers in there that it's like, oh wait, you're, we're not here so that you can get another role. You're here to get oh, this yeah, role. Oh yeah, yes, I understand. You're, right, you're, right, yeah. you're not, This right. is the role. Yeah, right, this yeah. is the well, role. And that's, but like that's yeah. that. To be fair to people who do that, we've all we've been conditioned to do that by right. by creating an atmosphere of competition and entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. Yeah. And 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 also. So scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is this is like standing up to the ideas of competition and scarcity with regards to that. And so it's about like how do we treat each other? How do we treat each experience? And because Matt was so heavily involved in the community, he and was and was actively engaged in lifting other people up and creating opportunities for people. I think he sees. We all have the power to to do that to some extent. You know, we all have yeah. the power to make opportunities for other people. We all have the power to amplify other people's voices, and so we and we therefore we have a responsibility to do so, um, which requires a completely different level of engagement as a performer or a creator or producer right. or anything you know you it's a different way of framing the work that we do which is a better way to frame the, i mean as far as i'm concerned it's way more enjoyable to be present in the room and really listen to what your colleagues are doing that's way more fun yeah. mm-hmm. i mean in a certain way this is a lot of this is about sort of having a beginner's mind and yeah. about compassion so those are those two things if you sort of boil down this down in some ways mm-hmm. it's those things you know yeah, it sort of reminds if you can me be of... really innocent still yeah. about making music yeah. Which, yeah. you know if you and... can even, even if you can remember back when you were that's a good start. Yeah, right. it reminds me of Cage also of, of you know, four, four mm-hmm. minutes and how many seconds? 33. 33. You know, just, just, just that. <laughs> the extended right. version. There's, there's, there's some with cuts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thank God. It's in three movements, no. though. <laughs> but that's great. Just being open to whatever sounds you hear mm-hmm. and and, uh, and appreciating it as something for valuable is, for yeah. what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like also in this, the collaborative, the idea of helping other people who might be underrepresented and or yeah. and reaching out to make sure other voices are heard that that I really love in this. Yeah. Um, Did you read that when um Andrew Norman won the Grawmeyer, I think that was the award some yeah, big, giant yeah. thing. And he wrote mm-hmm. some beautiful thing about, you know, I'm very happy to win it. I don't remember the wording exactly, but it was basically, you know, I'm a white male and there's so many, you know, voices that haven't been heard who would, you know, who sh- who should be sort of should be not even just considered he sort of should win this award right. you know but, but he said it in a very very beautiful eloquent way so mm-hmm. you know there are people who are you know thinking in those ways yeah all right that was beautiful <laughs> would you like a tissue <laughs> if you're listening this far into the indie opera podcast you must like our show could you do us a good one and go ahead and give us a review in itunes it's a free way to show your support And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please add us to your favorite streaming device. That way we will be automatically sent directly to you. 
And if you want to help bring opera to a new generation of listeners, one great way is to go to patreon.com and become our patron. And if your company wants to reach a creative, passionate, and dedicated audience, please consider advertising with us. So let's definitely talk about Savage Winter. I'm really excited because this will be at BAM uh, in the beginning of November. And it's uh, tell us a little bit about it. I know that it's based on uh, the same poems that uh, Winterizo. Right. So it's based on the uh, Wilhelm Mueller poems that Schubert set, the Winterizo cycle, which were 24 poems. I love it. Oh, man. I love it. And the form has the same. It's, it's 24 poems also in the same order that Schubert set them in a different order than Mueller wrote them in evidently but that's another thing that you are you doing the which are you doing the order I'm of doing Schubert? the Schubert order oh. yeah oh, okay um uh-huh. you know I love that mu- that music also and the poems yeah and for a long time I'd had this idea about you know doing something different with them in some way um so that's what this piece is uh it's in English and it's some of them are you know essentially direct translation some of the poems and some of them are the the original poetry is used as a jumping off point so it's freely interpreted by me there's some that are instrumental 
they've been so freely interpreted they've been freely interpreted out of existence oh, because, wow. um, there's other with just a couple words yeah. there's so there's a range of things and uh, you know i think that you perhaps were in my head uh when you were writing this because it's totally right in my my bailiwick like it's this gorgeous blend of composition that includes this jazz aesthetic that's so lovely and then it gets kind of heavier punkier mm-hmm. the, and right from the beginning because it mixes Acoustic, electronic. Don't say those. Don't say I know. Those. I'm yeah. using them. And you said aesthetic, aesthetic. also. I said it. Ooh, I know. I'm doing yeah. this on purpose. Three strikes. Three you? strikes. You're out. Are you really? No. Uh, are, are you? Are you, are you really? Are you really? <laughs> no, but it is this. I, lo- I love use of alter, you know, of weird instrumentation, unusual instrumentation. And I love the mixing of, of electronic and live. So for me, the, the label is is attr- attractive. So Yeah. No, that's something I like, obviously, also. So it's. It's written for uh, one singer who's a tenor who's amplified and piano and electric guitar, which I'm actually playing and trumpet, which is also electrified and that sometimes he's using some effects, which is Frank London, who we were talking about before, and some electronics that I created. Sometimes they're very atmospheric. Sometimes they're more rhythmic, almost like a loopy kind of groove thing. Um, and there's improvisation in the guitar part and in the trumpet part, not in the singing. Um, there's a little teeny bit in the piano, but it's not really part of the aesthetic of that. So that music is very well notated and sort of 21st century art song. I said that once and someone said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. It was like, you know <laughs> but, um, but I'm saying it now. Um, so you know, it's spiky tonal pantonal some you know um and some of the guitar parts and the trumpet parts are notated as well but there's also improvisation and i'm oh, playing good. with kind of with a bit of a rock sound for yeah. some of them and there's there is jazz influence in there but it's not it's not a jazz piece it's not a rock piece it's also let's say it's for a single sin- singer it's mm-hmm. a tenor i'm gonna get the name wrong uh, tony to- boutet boutet yeah you i said right. boutet yeah. correctly all right yeah he's great he's fantastic singer, and so. i saw the production stills which look fantastic so it's set in a room yeah it's a very it's a very um strong production I mean, it's directed by jonathan moore this british director who also for you contemporary opera geeks buffs. yeah geeks <laughs> it could be that um he co-wrote the libretto for um greek by mark anthony turnage oh, oh cool. ah, okay. which, yeah yeah and he worked with Stuart copeland and he worked well, with Stuart. Right? yeah exactly yeah uh-huh, yep right friend of the podcast Stuart yeah copeland. Stuart, Stuart oh, yeah. was on here oh, as good, well good. yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> That's great. And so, so that for the, conception, the conception of where it's placed, did that come from you or from that him? That was Jonathan. I mean, we talked yeah. about it a little bit, but essentially, you know, it was, yes, it was Jonathan. And so it takes place in a hotel room. I mean, one of the things about Vinterizer, which was part of the challenge about writing the music, which we were talking about before, about Missy's piece, about how it's so dark. You know, Vinterizer, you know, it starts in an emotionally pretty dark place and then just goes downhill (laughs) so when i was thinking about writing the piece even i think well you know how you deal with that because to do something besides start with a dirge and then make each one dirgier and dirgier (laughs) so that was a bit of a question sort of how to deal with that and you know the original is the unnamed traveler is going through some 
um, you know, sort of snowy landscape, mm-hmm. um, I presume, in, in villages in Germany somewhere. So Jonathan's idea was to sort of set it in a what's the contemporary equivalent of somebody kind of reaching bottom and then perhaps finding a way that there might be hope at the end. So the idea was that it would be in a hotel room where somebody had come to sort of escape whatever, mm. you know, psychologically he was trying to escape and kind of reaching that that nadir of his of his psychological uh, existence right right there and then. And this, it's also got a really beautiful projection design. Yeah, mm. really nice oh, by the yeah. by uh, Joseph Siemens who um, lives in Pittsburgh. This was first done in the same production, different cast in uh, at Pittsburgh Opera in February of this year. And and Joseph did the did this projection. And it's, it's really, really beautiful something. because the inside becomes outside there's movement oh, awesome. and it's just really yeah. i mean I'm, I, I'm a projection freak i love projection oh, on there's stage. a lot for you in this yes yeah. i can't yeah. wait to see it. how much of this was done with did you write this for a specific singer or what, what were well you doing? that's a good question no i originally actually wrote it for a mezzo huh Ta-da. Noted. <laughs> yes, just to think about. Um, and I wrote it quite some time ago. I wrote it, I was writing it, like, I probably finished it 10 years ago. Oh, wow. I know. And then, um, right after Arjuna's Dilemma, actually, um, and then tried to get a production of it, and it just, it almost happened. There were workshops, and it didn't happen, mm-hmm. and then, and and um, there was a different director, and there was a different singer attached, and then the whole thing kind of seemed like it was falling apart. Part. And Tony Boutte, not the piece, but the whole idea of actually getting it produced, which it, for me, it's always been, you know, just, it's a battle, it's a struggle, it's a whatever you call it. It's a, it's a, it's a production number mm-hmm. to get something produced. <laughs> right. um, that's a better way than saying a battle. You're not, you're, a, not, you're, a, you're not in opposition to somebody, but it's a lot. It's you know, a Herculean it's a thing. task. It's a uh, thing, uh, yes. Uh, it's a Herculean an odyssey, thing. If you will. Yes, yeah. I've heard of that. Um, <laughs> So at, at that point when it seemed like it sort of wasn't happening, Tony Boutte, who I know because he actually sang in Arjuna's Dilemma, which is a piece that I had in BAM, which as I said before was my first kind of big piece, um, which coincidentally was in BAM 10 years to the day before when Savage Winter is going to be there, oh, really? which I remember because okay. of election week when Obama got elected in 2008. Oh. So I was in wow. tech that night. I remember yeah. that world. Uh-huh. But you could hear I people You could hear people outside uh-huh. celebrating. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I went to see Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me recorded the, that day, that, like oh, two days exciting. after he'd won oh, yeah. the election oh, that must in have been Boston. Amazing. Oh. That must have been amazing. Wow, this is political porn. Oh. I know, it's oh, true. Wow. It feels so good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so hard to get back. So back, back to you. <laughs> All right, so... Um, <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I knew Tony from then, and Tony knew about this piece, and he kept saying, I want to sing it, I want to sing it. And I was like, well, it's, it's really for a woman, which which I still really like that idea of a woman singing this piece. But then Tony said, just let me do some, and you'll see, you'll love it. And mm-hmm. it was true. He sounded really great. And we did a concert version of it two and a half years ago now at the University of Miami, which is where Tony was teaching at that time. And then I met Jonathan actually at the um, New Works Forum here. Oh, okay. that's cool. Uh-huh. I know. Good. And so then we just talked about this, and then it kind of fell uh-huh. into, play, into place really quickly, which was unusual. Yeah. Oh. So I thought, oh, well, I should, you know... Like, don't make things even harder than they already are. Right. Um, with the, since it was clear that this was falling into place, I knew that it would sound great with Tony singing it. So mm, that's great. I went forward. So it wasn't written with a particular person in mind. But but I did have very specific thoughts when I started to write it, even though it was a long time ago. I can still remember them. Which was one, um, I was thinking about Wojciech and how when Berg wrote that, each each scene was sort of a different form. So I thought, yeah. oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and those scenes were were 
put out of order when when the play was written. It was actually done in different orders. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of interesting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're just full of information. Just such a genius. Oh gosh. Sorry. So I Go ended ahead. up back to you. So I ended up making this big list of all these different <laughs> yes. kinds of things I would want to do. Uh-huh. It didn't quite work out because 24 is a lot. So it didn't entirely work out that way. But that was one of the things I was thinking about originally. I wanted something that was bluesy. I wanted something that was all electronic. I wanted something with almost a cappella. Um, something really folky for um, a linden tree, their linden bound, because that's yeah. kind of a, was a kind of a folk song in Germany. You know, right. people evidently um, kids would go to camp and sing that song, sing Schubert around the campfire. By the gate near the well stands a linden tree. Yes, a linden tree. Yes, a linden tree. Sitting in its shade, I had many a sweet dream. Oh, yes, many a sweet dream. I had many a sweet dream. In its bark, I've carved many a word of love, many a word of love in joy and sorrow, joy and sorrow. So, so there's different, I know, it's a different era. It's I'm jealous. You know why? It's because they had those music appreciation classes. That's, that's, right. that's totally why. That's, right. that's um, why they're superior to us. Right. Oh. Um, so I had those kind of things in my, you know, as yeah. I was working on the, the pieces. And again, also thinking about how to not make it, you know, how to vary it. And also when I was adapting the text i had this idea that i wanted to write the music kind of freely and quickly in a sense which was in some ways easy to do because for only three instruments and one singer and actually i was thinking about prince when i was about this because um as i occasionally do um still (laughs) because there's something about his lyric writing that seems very offhand you know it's partly his delivery and stuff too but there's something it just seems like it just came out of him really quickly which it probably did because he wrote so much music you know it kind of had to come out pretty rapidly and you know typically i'm not a i'm not a it doesn't just like flow out of me in the way that i don't know how if there's some people it does maybe i don't know but not me so i felt like i wanted to try to do that as much as i can and to kind of write it quickly and then go back and you know hopefully make it better not worse and i felt that since i was the person who was adapting the text that that was a real advantage to being able to work that way because i could sort of follow whatever ideas and flow that i had so if, if you know wherever it felt like the music was leading me i could kind of go there with it and you um, were working with a translation uh, of, i was working of... with a bunch of different translations i was kind of oh. like picking and choosing oh, things and okay. words and yeah. stuff like that yeah did you did you think of it as a story really or or how, how did you think didn't of all really the think of it sections. as a story so much because it's i didn't superimpose a story on mm. it because there really isn't that much of a story yeah. i mean there's a downward arc because some because i've seen a couple productions of it there was one that was done at new york theater work Workshop of, mm-hmm. of Winter Isa, where they staged where it? they actually stage it as kind of a story of three three guys who just hang out around a piano. Oh, and, that thing. Oh. genius! That oh, thing, yeah, the three holy piano cow. thing. Three yes. pianos. Yeah, 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 I saw I that. I feel that like thing. I yeah. saw that in Boston when I was at ART. Uh-huh. Well, I know I saw it in Boston, and I think I might have talked about it on the podcast at the time because it was it was so cool. It was yeah, so amazing. great. It was really it almost had a plot, you know. Oh, is it Matt Malloy? Is that his Matt name? Mal- yeah, he, right. he was he was worked on um, oh, the, the Natasha the and the 
it. Come, yeah, 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 exactly. So they, yeah. And he, but they did it. They did it as a way of telling the story of Schubert's of descent Schubert. into yeah. right. madness. Right. And uh-huh. so it was about like yeah. they used Venturiza as a as sort a of a vehicle. vehicle. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> there we go. But they served wine. <laughs> I know they got the audience. It was right, so right. the audience was so drunk. Yeah, but it, it got we, better was, and better. <laughs> but it was so fun, and I loved it. It was super I fun. I loved that. Yeah. yeah. So you don't you don't think of it as one sort of you don't think of it as an arc like that. You think of it. There more... is a bit. Of, there is a bit of an arc, but it's not. It's not really a story in that way. Mm. It's a psychological mm-hmm. thing. And then at the end, the hope is that it's somewhat ambivalent about what's happening to the character at the very end. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So. Maybe he's, you know, finding some self-redemption. But it's con- it's continuous. So it is continuous. So it's yep. not like like a day passes in between two of them or, or, or something. No, you know, no, it's yeah, continuous. It continuous. Yeah. yeah. So um, I know that I was listening to this and I go, wow, this doesn't remind me of doubt. And it didn't remind right. me of your other pieces. I thought, wow, this is this man's a chameleon. What an incredible variety and yeah. flexibility in his sound. Then it made me think, what is the Douglas Cuomo voice? Is this something? Something like that harkens back to something very central to you. With your, I know you have some more rock. Man, jazzy. you are putting labels on him. No, 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 we no, just no, 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 no. But, that but it, wait, <laughs> you're fired. You're fired. Wait, wait till we wait till we talk about his other work. Um, thank you, thank you for coming to my defense. Matt it's, Marks, Matt Marks is frowning yes. right now. <laughs> I'm listen. I'm I'm in the media. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it, I thought it was really interesting because it seemed to be. Go- I know that you have sort of roots that are um, that you, you said earlier. You like to play in rock bands. You play whatever. Mm-hmm. The other things I heard the orchestral stuff for doubt. Incredible, incredible stuff. But it's such a different world, and um, you chose to set it in this, you know, this song cycle yeah. in this particular way. It seems that uh, what was the other piece? The one set uh, on the the Indian. Uh, oh, Arjuna's dilemma. Yes, yeah. I mean it's obvious why it was set with that sort of wonderful inflected sound it's got mm-hmm. the feeling of of the continent there and uh the doubt it makes sense to me the, mm-hmm. the sound world there why this sound world for Vinterizer? i think it's interesting i didn't think about it in the way that you just asked the question but um it's because i'm stuck on categories i think <laughs> you're just mired in categories <laughs> you can't help yourself <laughs> well yeah i think in a way i mean because it didn't have some particular there wasn't anything in the text that was suggestive of how it should be set which i think is true about doubt out to some degree and certainly Arjuna's Dilemma which is based on the story of the Bhagavad Gita so it has some Indian musicians in it oh, right. and Indian influence um, Was that a novel or a story? Arjuna's Dilemma? or, or No, did, did no it's just based on the text all comes from the Bhagavad, the Bhagavad Gita okay. yeah. right. um, So in a way I think it was this mixing of my influences again it was you know 10 years ago so certainly be, the piece I would write would be different now but yes the idea of the guitar playing which which is the, this is the only piece that, I, of, that I've ever written that I actually play in I mean some film and TV stuff I play but um you know this is the only kind of serious music i don't know whatever we're calling it of you know this kind of music that has guitar in it and the electronics it's something i did a lot of in film and tv and i like experimenting around with that kind of thing so, so this yeah is i think more in a way it's a more yeah it's a little more of a yeah of a, a <laughs> like a personal was yeah it was a legitimate question right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't think of that necessarily like this is like my style of how i always would do things but <clears> but yeah it is i think that's a that's yeah, a good observation because you're you're also your international stuff is incredible i mean yeah you had your arjuna's dilemma so that's so that that features like sounds of indian music which yeah there's an indian there's an indian singer who also does some improvising (laughs) 
and then you work with a Himalayan singer as well. Um, that was for Arjuna's dilemma. Or sorry, also. Uh, sorry, a uh, um, Afghan, Af- Afghan, Afghani singer. Yes, Afghani singer. Yeah. yeah. And then you, uh, you also mentioned a Japanese. It sounded like you were using Japanese instruments. Yeah, I, d- I for recently wrote a well. couple of pieces for um, Shakuhachi flute, which is a bamboo. Yeah. Oh. Very cool. So why why do you why do you feel drawn to to these different? I mean, I, I know you traveled when you were in Wesleyan, and you you know. Uh, I mean, you. It sounds like you you dabbled in a lot of different international right. stuff. Why do you feel drawn to these other cult- cultures musically? I think it's about the sound world a lot of like the shakuhachi, which I'd never written for, but I wrote recently a couple of pieces pieces for um, uh, James Schleffer, who's a great uh, shakuhachi player. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's an incredibly beautiful instrument. Just the sound of it's you know really vocal, and it's so. Um, it's uh, it's a very kind of rough-hewn instrument with a very rough-hewn sound. They make them the same way they used to make them mm. like thousands of years ago, which is they just get a piece of bamboo and put five holes in it, you know, and sort of hollow it out. Um, so there's a lot of imperfections, you know, quote-unquote imperfections, but that's a lot of what the beauty of the sound is. Right. So, you know, that was very appealing to me, that... that um, and my educational background in music is not a traditional composer. It's not a traditional, I don't know, whatever you call classical music. Let's call it, you know, new music. It's not a traditional new music composer education mm-hmm. because I didn't study composition at all. I was a jazz performance major. Um, so I learned a lot about music and I learned how to learn, actually. Um, but I was self-taught largely in terms of orchestration and composition. Um, so there's just something about that eclecticism of and this uh, um, the, uh, this interest that I have in other you know different kinds of uh, of music and I'm comfortable with improvisation and trying to sort of fit that in yeah. you know you feel you you feel like you're able to play within the the context of other of other types other types of music from around the world that's interesting because <clears throat> not everyone can do that you know, right but... and there's a way to do it without having to be an expert in it too mm-hmm. which at least there's a way that I do it which doesn't mean that I have to be an expert in it. Right. Um, yeah. You know. How did you meet? I'm curious how you met. Uh, who? 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 Khan. Khan. Yeah. Um, he actually sang at BAM in Arjuna's Dilemma. Oh, okay. So that's where I first yeah. met Humayun. Okay. And then he'd been talking to me almost since then about trying to get some sort of group together that would sing. And he's Afghani singer, but he sings North Indian music and Persian music and all of this kind of stuff. He was born in Afghanistan, but raised essentially in the U.S. in the D.C. area. Um, His parents fled when the war started there. And uh, so we we have this group now that's doing essentially the kind of rep that he does with a tabla player and Humayun plays harmonium and sings also. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, And then with a Western rhythm section and a couple of horns. Sort of like a kind 
of like jazz, but it's not really jazz. It's sort of there's some sort of reggae feel stuff in there. And so we're trying to, we've, we've had a couple of concerts. We did something at National Sawdust and then at, um, in D.C. The Kennedy, Kennedy Center. Thank you. Yes, yeah, the Millennium yeah. Stage at Kennedy Center. And that's Turquoise Lake. Yeah, Turquoise yeah, Lake is the name incredible. of that band, which is a really fun thing. And part of the idea of that band is that it's this, again, particularly, I guess, in these times, um, when we first started, which, you know, a few years ago, that this is a band that everybody in it is an American. But there's, you know, Kumayan was born in Afghanistan. The, the tabla player um, was born in India, I think, um, or Pakistan, I can't recall. Um, and there's people from all these different religious backgrounds. And basically, like, this is this like, this is like an American band, and this is part of what American music is like, but it's also part of what, Ameri- you know, this is like America. You're looking at America right. up here. That's amazing. You know, that is, that is which seems like it's yeah. a pretty important thing now. Are you I am playing in that, yeah. And yeah. do you have a do you have your own sort of band band? I stopped playing guitar for a long time, and uh, I play like at a restaurant near where I live in Brooklyn once a month for fun with like a bass player and sometimes with a drummer. That's Just great. playing standards, cool. so that's fun. I enjoy doing <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's very cool. What's next on the horizon for you after Savage Winter? That's a good question. Um, I have a number of projects that I'm trying to get off the ground and make happen. So there's that whole, you know. Right. Whatever you were calling that, the uh, Herculean. Herculean task. Yes, <laughs> there's that. Um, I wrote a piece with a Romero guitar quartet and a mezzo, which hopefully is going to be premiered in the next season or so. We're kind of working That's that whole cool. thing. Out. Big smile on Brooke. Every he keeps mentioning mezzo. <laughs> like, do you like writing for mezzo? Is there an affinity for for certain? Is there a voice there in your head? Is a little bit. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that there is. That's an interesting question, but I don't know the answer to it. Um, Jake Heggie writes a lot for Mezzo, too, but I think that's because a couple of Mezzos really championed his work early on. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't write for Mezzo, which is why, like, when... Why you're so happy to hear that. Yeah, well, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. He, often when when people are writing vocal music for women, it's for the very, very, very high sopranos who mm-hmm. can do, like like Barbara Hannigan, who's amazing. Uh, so no, you right. know, like no shade to Barbara Hannigan, but that, you know, there's a, there are a lot of other people who sing and would like to do new music and extended vocal techniques yeah. and all that stuff, and there's nothing written for them. Um, Barrio did some stuff because he was married to Kathy Barbarian, but like, right. there's, yeah. it's just like a dearth Laura of... Kaminsky. Yeah. Laura Kaminsky. Laura yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Are, I'm not saying there's none. It's just you know, you, right, right. There's it's also people. the roles they tend to write for mezzos are not usually as uh, you know the star, right? right. I mean, you the, still usually still witches, maid. bitches, boys, uh, boars, and whores. Well, say that again. Witches, bitches, boys, boars, and whores. <laughs> the boars, boar, as in like. Boars, boring. Like, oh, boring. Pig? Wild pigs, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no. Like, oh, boars. Oh, boring. Okay. Like, school two, moms. Two, out, two yeah. out of the four principles in doubt are mentos. Yes. Oh. I remember that. There you go. Yeah. This guy, this guy is your man. I right? know, just, right? He just doesn't write for anything but mentos. <laughs> And the the um the text for the Romero's piece is it's Spanish love poetry, so it's in Spanish. Oh, um, wonderful! Which part of it goes with the guitar thing? Um, and there's six. It's a suite of six. It's probably like thirty minutes long. I don't know exactly. It's excellent. Um, and three of them are um, poems that are by Celedonio Romero, who's actually the patriarch of that of the Romero family. So you did. I was interested. You did um, Arjuna's dilemma in Kathmandu. Yes. Right? What was that like? But it was I mean, crazy. It was actually the most. It was the most meaningful experience of my musical life. Actually, really. Yeah, and it, and it was so. Um, in some ways, it was a great lesson because in the in a thing that's still relatively unusual for me, um, somebody just called me up and said, "We've heard about this piece," and this was 
three years ago or something, they called me up. And uh, there's a little theater company in Kathmandu, and we want to do it. Um, wow. And in the first place, I said, well, how did you even know about it? He said, well, I don't know. The, the director's husband was in India, and he saw a magazine. I'm thinking, oh, well, Oh, you know, which, which all seems improbable to wow. me. But um, and they're saying, well, yeah. you know, there's no money, and and in Nepal, it's a you know, it's an incredibly poor country. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, so there's no money, and there's no tradition of Western music in Nepal. So there's hard, there's literally hardly any string players in the whole country. Oh wow! Wow! And. Huh. You know, but I'm sure this is going to happen. And I think, oh, that sounds great. (laughs) And I thought, and also, um, (laughs) yeah, the person who called me was a singer, Roy Stevens, who sang it. He goes, and I'll sing in it, and I'm going to help produce it too. And I was, and he was very, very enthusiastic, really nice, really enthusiastic. And I thought after the call, I thought, well, this is like never going to happen because it's the singer. He says he's going to produce it, and he seemed so enthusiastic. It almost seemed like it was a sign of you know inexperience, that kind of enthusiasm. Right, but. And he said, you know, I've done this kind of thing in various different countries where I go. And, you know, they did something in Panama where they did Macbeth in an old Scottish castle in Panama. It's like, you know, it's all this crazy stuff. And but then it actually did happen. It It went forward and they, you know, and they said, you know, Roy said at the beginning, well, one thing. And he'd been to Nepal, I think, once before. And he also had gotten sort of forewarned. He said, whatever you think is going to happen. Like something else is going to happen. It might be better. It might be worse, but it's going to be different, whatever it is, (laughs) which was totally true. They said, you know, all along they were saying, um, and also they, something that was incredibly important was we had, we had Jonathan Kuhner as the conductor and he went there early with the, with the musicians and rehearsed them and essentially almost taught them by rote. And the music's hard. It's like a lot of time signatures and stuff. And he was also playing the electric piano while he was conducting. So the things that needed to be filled in, like he was doing it. So it was incredible what he was doing. Um, and there's no way it could have happened musically without him. And they said at the beginning, like, you know, the level of music is not going to be what you're used to, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an amazing experience. So I knew that going in and all those things were true. Like whatever we thought was going to happen. So the whole time they're saying, well, you know, there's, there's no strings, but I think there's a bass play. There'll be a bassist. They also said, you know, people might say they're going to do it, but then something else might come up and they would just do that because any opportunity that people have in a country where there's so few opportunities that yeah. you just, you know, people do the stuff like that. Um, so they kept saying, it'll be this, you know, these will be the musicians. And then we, then a little before they said, yeah, well, actually there's no bass player, but we have a string quartet. Um, <laughs> wow. Which when I met there, were these, went there and met them, there were these young players, they're like 20. And they said, we were Kathmandu's we were, we were in Nepal's only string quartet. Whoa. I said, wow, how long have you been together? One month. Said, <laughs> we joined for your show. <laughs> yeah, no, it was true. And I said, like, what's your rep normally? Because oh, we, we play um, Nepali pop songs. Like this music is, you know, they said, you know, we know this music is really hard, but we want to work with Jonathan. We want to like learn how to do it. And so I went, I took my kids and my wife. We went for three weeks. Um, Amazing. It was That's unbelievable. Incredible. And people were, you know, it was fabulous and it's so interesting i'd never been to that part of the world before and that whole thing was such an education it was an it's outdoor like, performance in, yeah it was outdoor there 12 outdoor performances wow. in um so in cool. patandurbar square which is this unesco site where they have all these ancient temples and the earthquake there's a big earthquake there like a year before so you still saw rubble and there were still some villages out in the country because once you get out of Kathmandu, it's very hard just to get anywhere like the roads are really bad even before the earthquake um but there were some villages and it still were inaccessible from the earthquake a year ago so it was just you know this incredible experience of you know what the what the music was like and and you know the instruments i hadn't thought about this that much until i got there all the people were kind of 
giving me hints. You know, the instruments that people have are really bad. They're just like, the, you know. Like shitty they're just models. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, like at best, yeah. you right. know. Huh. Like the, there was a guy who was playing clarinet and sometimes he was playing bass clarinet, which is sort of amazing they had one. And, but there was like a lot of squeaking going on. And I looked over there once, and it's like squeaking, and he's like taking his leg and like kicking it oh. while he's playing because like stuff is sticking so and everything. Is, oh, no. And the oh, saxophone man. player, there's a big saxophone improvising thing. Who was actually he was quite quite good. He was one of the students at the jazz school there, which is run by a German or Spaniard rather. Um, and they said, oh, you know, his his the F key on his horn broke. And um, one of the big things he, one of the big things he does is in it's in F this big solo thing right. as he goes, uh, but you know he'll just work around it because there's there's literally no one in the country who fixed wind instruments. Oh no, God! It's wow. like it's and then the performance was so so it was a mix. The the uh, person who sings kind of the Indian singer role was was Nepali, and the tabla player was also Nepali, and the people in the orchestra, um, and then Roy was the the, the male singer. And his wife was kind of leading the chorus because that's the other thing there was. And the chorus was an expat chorus, female chorus. And they also had actors who were non-speaking for the most part, sort of who were Nepali actors. Because part of the thing about One One World Theater, which is the name of the theater company that's been there for a while, it's run by um, a woman who's an expat who spends half her time there and half in the U.S. And their normal mission is that they do plays from the West with all Nepali cast. But in this case, because it was an opera, they they, that wasn't really going to work. Um, but she did have this Nepali cast of these amazing actors sort of acting things out in a non-speaking way. And a lot of what they did was related to normal Nepali life. There was some section kind of about, that reflected on the earthquake, which was an incredible, you know, like experience for everyone in the whole country who went through that. And they did, you know, at one point they were doing something that was this sort of reenactment of the kind of thing that they, the ceremonial thing they do with babies when they feed this, some sort of, you know, ceremony when they, the baby comes and they feed it and everybody comes, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, and also, um, Nepal is, is mostly a Muslim country, but it's, oh, excuse me, it's mostly a Hindu country. And the Bhagavad Gita is a Hindu sort of like the Hindu holy text. Right. Um, so everybody was familiar with it, even people who weren't that religious. Oh, wow. It's the same way that everybody in America kind of knows the story of Easter, right. no matter how Catholic you really are. Right. Um, and so a number of people said there, and also even when it was at BAM, that people you know, who were from India said, oh, you know, my grandmother used to tell me these stories when I was little. So it had this huge meaning for oh, them, the people in the cast and the audience. It was kind of unbelievable, and it looked fantastic. It was like, it was, you know, it just looked gorgeous, even though the poor um, lighting designer who came from the U.S. and he also did the sets and all of that stuff. The electricity, like everything there is just so, by Western standards, so sort of ramshackle. You know, it's an incredibly poor and pretty corrupt country. Yeah. And even though it's in the Himalayas and there's all this water, you know, rivers and stuff. So the hydroelectric power possibilities of the country are huge, but they don't they don't harness it in any way that mm. in Kathmandu there's not enough electricity that you can have electricity 24 hours a day so wow. wherever you go in different neighborhoods and they so they schedule when the electricity is going to be off so we stayed in these various different places and you'd go and you'd go to the hotel or the Airbnb we went and say when is the load shedding time it's some sort of term from Britain through India I guess and they give you like a piece of paper that says oh between two and four in the afternoon on Wednesday 
no power. Oh, then, oh, you know, on Tuesday, yeah. it's between, you know, and um, some places had generators, but there's, and so the power's really shaky. And the lighting board was something that they rented there. But of course, they don't have much on the way of like, you know, rental houses for equipment. Right. So, the, so you know, they sort of arranged beforehand. Because, you know, these are our options. They're these kind of Russian knockoffs of Western things. And so the lighting designer said, oh, let's rent this thing because I know what this, I know this piece of equipment, like what it's supposed to be like. So they, he got there. And, of course, it looks the same. Because <laughs> nothing, it doesn't totally function tough. the same in any way. And oh, the only software <clears throat> you could get for it was some kind of like BitTorrent download. Oh, and the only manual was in Russian. <laughs> and like, no, so it was just the thing would never do what he wanted it to do. Um, at one point he got halfway through the show and then it started to run all the cues backwards going down. <laughs> oh no and the lights would like ev- after, during every show a bunch of lights wouldn't work and they would like he would fix them and then the next show like some other lights wouldn't work so it, it was it was never the, the way that he had planned it to be but despite that it looked really, really gorgeous. That's amazing. So the whole thing, it was just this incredible experience. It was when the music was sort of the most, it was very interesting, actually thinking back to what the Matt Marx's, um, you know, wife's musician's pledge was talking about. In a way, the feeling of community with the music and the meaningfulness of the performances exceeded anything I've ever done. And the quality in some sort of objective Western way of music was the lowest of anything, really, in a way. But it didn't matter. Yeah, because you had that that incredible... You know, for audiences, it was so meaningful. So what's, you know, that's, for me, that's better than like, oh, what a great performance that was. You know, that was, we liked that very much. That was, you know. (laughs) Right. You know, so it was an incredible experience, just unbelievable experience. So that brought us back to Musician's Pledge, which is great full circle. We do have to close the show off because we're actually running out of time. This has been an amazing discussion. Uh, do you still write for a film and TV? And um, uh, I do v- very sporadically. I'm doing something, a documentary now about um, about bees and these sort of bee pollinators who go across the country you know, with their beehives. I'm going to drop names. You know, uh, he also wrote the theme for Sex in the City, yeah, which I, I love that brilliant. credit. And now with Bill Moyers, which I... Of course, yeah. watch a yeah. lot. Um, anyway, uh, it's just really incredible to have someone with such a diverse um, repertoire and also a diverse uh, uh, styles. And I'm not going to use any of those other words. I'm sorry. Stop no more aesthetic. At me. No, but no, but it's <laughs> a flexibility. There, but, <laughs> but an incredible amount of flexibility and creativity, which is it's just awe inspiring and very inspiring for me as an artist to see someone doing that. Thank um, you. And so I think we need to move towards the end of the show. I'm going to go around very quickly. Is there anything you're planning on seeing that you're excited for? I'm going to see the uh, Mile Long Opera. Oh, oh, oh my. David Would, Lang. You're going which, yeah. cool. Oh, cool. Which is it's on the high days. line. Yeah, on the and, high line. Uh, I'm going to join be the seeing uh, Marnie. Hopefully I'll be seeing the Satyagraha mm-hmm. I'm going to try and get to. Oh, yeah. um, Where is that being done? It's being done at BAM with like a circus troupe. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to see oh, yeah, Satyagraha yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. really, really looks incredible. Chuck, is there anything that you're playing and seeing? I know yes. you're seeing Hamilton again. I am seeing Hamilton again. I haven't even seen it once. I but saw that I, recently. Oh, I'm, I'm seeing it again. It. It's definitely worth no. it. And I'm <laughs> seeing, I have a lot of opera coming up. I'm seeing La Funchula del West. Right. Uh, and I'm seeing Samson at Delilah. Samson. And in mixing in there, I'm seeing My Fair Lady, the new production oh, good. at 
Um, and uh, and then I'm going to, on my vacation, I'm going to see the gender-switched company. Oh, that's right. You're the seeing company. Yes, being, by being Steve oh, yes. <laughs> yes. But I thought that was the name of, that's a great yes. name for a company, though. Yeah, it it's is. Gender it absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, I'm also seeing Sam- Samson Delilah, and I'm seeing, what else? Oh, I'm seeing Jonas Kaufman at Carnegie Hall on Friday. Ooh. Ooh. St. Luke's. He's doing um, a bunch of, like, German operetta from the 20s and 30s that coincides with, like, film TV. So he has a wow. new album out or something, so it's right. for that. And you're going to go out and get a drink with him afterward? Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> well, have fun. And, uh, of I'm, course. Good. Tell them we said hi. <laughs> I um, certainly will. I'm going to see uh, Greek at BAM also, right? right? Oh, Mark yeah. Anthony Turnage and Satyagraha and... Uh, Something else in it. Oh, uh, Marnie, I want to see, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I want to see. Yeah. Uh, and we hope everyone goes out, enjoys some opera, some theater, and film, because we're all big fans of all of that. And uh, does anyone have anything that they want to say before oh. we go? Yes. Uh, just, I want to acknowledge the death of David DeKiera, who yes. ran Michigan mm. Opera Theater. Um, he died. He died like the 18th of September or something like that. Oh. Um, and he was just. By all, I didn't know him, but again, by all accounts, just this amazing human being who made opera successful in Detroit, which is impressive, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the company's been running for a long time, and and it's all his doing, which is amazing. So that's a loss for the community. It's yeah. sad. His his pictures actually in the yeah. stairwell. Uh-huh. Um, if you go up to the eighth floor and you turn around, you can see Here his, in the opera center. Yeah, in the Opera Center. Well, thank you so much wow. for listening. Thank you, Douglas J. Yeah, Coleman, for coming. This was it was quite fun. Really just a, great to have you. So excited yeah. to have you on. And we will see you on the next show. And uh, please also Oh, I should to, say oh. one thing. I'm sorry. All to, right. But the the dates of Savage Winter, because you mentioned generally when it was, but it's um, November 7 through 10 okay. at BAM as part of Next Wave Festival. Great. So, Excellent. Yeah. Come on out. And uh, please keep listening to Opera Fix. We have a bunch to drop that are from the uh, Opera Philadelphia's Festival O that Chuck recorded. And um, Aida, maybe a little. little yes, yeah, so we're going gonna, gonna to put a little yeah, bit yeah. of Walker's Aida commentary on yeah. there as well. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Douglas. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> really seemed more like cats again on catnip. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we say goodbye. <laughs> We would like to thank Norman Ryan at Shop Music EAM for giving us permission to use clips on this show. This episode of the Indie Opera Podcast was recorded at the National Opera Center and is produced by Peter Zepp with co-hosts Brooke Larimer and Walker Lewis and our guest Douglas Cuomo. Our show is created with the support of Chuck Sachs, associate producer, Ross Crean, who created our theme music, Sharon Apostolou on social media, and recording engineer Matthew Wilson. This episode was edited by me. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>